All right, everybody, welcome to Superhouse. This is Andrew, as always, and I'm once again joined by our senior Batman correspondent, Ben Juan. Hey, guys. And uh, the song you're listening to right now is uh, from a YouTuber called Artificial Fear. Uh, he's just one of these cover YouTube cover guys, and uh, it's called Batman 89 Metalized, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, it is the 30th anniversary of the 1989 Batman uh, with Michael Keaton that uh, probably a lot of us in our age group started off with that one. Yep. And uh, Ben has prepared <laughs> quite an episode or two here. Or so, many, yeah. Yeah, or many. We'll see how this goes. So mm-hmm. uh, take it away, Ben, how are we start this thing off? Well, let's start with like memories of this because we're from the age group and probably the people listening to this who grew up with this on VHS. Yeah. Like we weren't quite old enough to watch in the theater but we were old enough to like watch the VHS tape so like just covering nostalgia like this this was the movie that yeah. got me into Batman I think the same thing with you right yeah totally uh, and you're right I, I was born in 84 it came out in 89 so I was 5 and I sort of remember it but I don't think I saw this in the theater right. definitely saw it like a shitload on VHS right. <laughs> Batman Returns is the first one I saw in the theater but mm. definitely wore this tape out back in the day and uh, Ben and I watched the, the uh, VHS yes. Diet Coke commercial <laughs> <laughs> and the and Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck the you Warners. gotta get a Warner Brothers ball cap yeah, that <laughs> you can't watch a Warner Brothers movie without <laughs> a Warner Brothers ball cap oh yeah yeah uh, <laughs> We saw that on YouTube before we saw uh, this on DC Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shout out to DC Universe. Yeah, please uh, don't die. Please stay with oh us. Oh, God, please. I use that more than Netflix or Hulu. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. There's, well, like, there's so much classic comics in there. I'm just like, holy shit. Like, this saves me so much right. in buying stuff. It's insane. And I'm like, I hope it doesn't go away. I actually haven't checked out the comics a whole lot on it yet. Really? I'll, I've just watched Swamp Thing and Titan. I've watched all their main shows. Right. Swamp Thing, Titans, Doom Patrol, mm-hmm. all that shit. Um, a little bit of Justice. Was it Young Justice Outsiders? Young Justice Outsiders, I haven't yeah. seen all of it yet, actually, though. Yeah. Well, the rest of it's coming in, in mid-June. Okay. So, we'll see. I appreciate that they have the, the older Batman movies, but it looks like those are leaving at the end of this month anyway. So, I'm glad we're doing this before 89 would leave. But then again, I own a copy of the movie, so it doesn't really matter to yeah. me. But still... Um, when I was growing up, I would take the VHS copy. We had used it so much, the cover of it, you know, the VHS cover, yeah. those paper covers, yeah. it would worn out. We had to dump it out and put it in its own little plastic cassette thing. Okay. I had worn it out so much. And all I would have to do to signal my mom that I was wanting to watch the movie was just show it in front of, show the cassette in front of her and just shake it back and forth. And she's like, yes, you can watch the movie tonight. So I'd watch <laughs> it with the Diet Coke thing in the beginning. I'd watch it all the way through. And then for some reason, to start as my tradition... After I saw the movie, after the Danny Elfman music at the end and Prince's Scandalous, which I yeah. had no idea what any of that meant. I didn't realize how like yeah. sex <laughs> influenced it was. Right. I would go up back up to my bedroom and I would fall asleep to an audio recording of the untold legend of the Batman, which is okay. uh, a retelling of Batman's origins. Um, and I had no idea. And it was all covering stuff like Joe Chill and everything, but like... I didn't realize it, but I was sort of getting used to the idea that there was more than one version of Batman and not just the right. Tim Burton version right, because it right, was right. very different, right. but it would cover the origin. And so I kind of imagined that it was the same story, even though it wasn't. You did like back to back features like every day. I pretty much did. I didn't realize I was doing that, but that, that's kind of how it was. This is, this is like an audio. This is like a book on tape kind of thing. It was an audio because it started out as a Len Wein comic. Um, three part. It was mainly retelling the classic era Batman stories, mm-hmm. uh, the origins and everything. Um, retelling uh, his training and everything. It was retell. And I can, I'll probably when I get, when now that we just finished the movie, I'll probably go home and and watch it or listen to it on YouTube just to complete the tradition. Yeah, right. Uh, That's well, I didn't, awesome. Didn't I didn't realize I only had, the tape I had was only of part one though. Okay. And I had the full comic. So it always ended on a cliffhanger, and I just figured that was the end of the story. It was just a way into the origin story until I realized the comic. I have to get this image completely in my head. So you had a book on tape that came with a comic that you read along, that you like read the comic along with the I, tape? I couldn't read at the time though so oh, I got gotcha. you but there was the a pictures. comic there was a comic that was the full comic and then there was the tape and being maybe like five years old or something I couldn't read the comic I could okay. just follow the pictures okay. and I always wondered why the tape was so short compared to the book 
because the tape only covered one third of the book. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, later on that I was able to read the rest of it and be like, oh, this is the full story. That's cool. Why didn't okay. they do the rest of the audio? And then YouTube came out and I realized, oh, I think I only had one tape because <laughs> okay. there were other yeah. parts that were covered. Right. But yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to listen to the whole thing anyway as a kid just because I would have fallen asleep by the time it had finished. Okay. So that was me growing up with 89. How about you basically were also watching it all the time on VHS? I think you a little more than me, but I definitely, it was probably my most watched VHS. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Um, it was, I don't know. I mean, every scene was iconic mm-hmm. and it was like, I think even at a young age, you you might have some sort of, uh, what do you call it? Inclination to like some dark things. Yeah. With Batman, it's like it's like it's it's always a thing. Like it's like uh, it's dark imagery, but he's a good guy, mm-hmm. you know. So you kind of have your cake and eat it too with with Batman in a lot of ways, you know. So I I think I gravitated towards that pretty young, and um, just the th- everything like you know, smoke bombs, a Batmobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like this the Tim Burton kind of like set pieces with you know very dark Joker stuff and. Just everything about it is just, it was like pretty formative, you know, I, for, for me and you, I'd mm-hmm. say. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to, you have to ask me something more specific. But yeah, pretty much everything right. about it, I played it over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's difficult yeah. for me because we, we just rewatched it. And even though I haven't seen it in years, yeah, I can still recite different lines. And I can yeah. still pick out details that I've always known. Like I just still see the purple smear on Nicholson's neck mm-hmm. when the Joker is revealed, or that like when Keaton lands in the museum, the Batman cow is like off a little bit, or when he turns around, like this utility belt like fault, like little detail stuff that's I like think I, noticed that. I do because I've seen it so many times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yes, this part happens, and that part happens, and I'm like, oh yeah, and like looking for little bits and pieces. I've listened to the sound like I lived and breathed this movie to the point where like it's hard for me to watch it and go through an emotional experience because it's more just like reliving it feels almost like a routine that I'm reliving instead of a movie to rewatch because I can like even the music cues I have the Danny Elfman soundtrack I have the Prince soundtrack and I have the La La Land release of the full soundtrack so I know which cues were in the original soundtrack and in the new one and I can name them off the top of my head whenever the movie comes out so, so I'm on top like, of watching the movie a lot you've revisited the soundtrack like right so like I know when the cues come up or when like Nicholson sits down and what instrument's gonna play and things like that because oh, right. of how often I right. cause the, so it's like when we rewatched it I'm just like I don't think I really needed to rewatch this in order to do this episode just right. cause like um, it's so it's been so in my head if I wanted to, I could maybe try to replay it in in my mind. It would probably be pretty close to the actual movie because of how right. much it was. So that's pretty much. I'm like, no wonder I became obsessed with this character. I've watched this movie so many times that like I've pretty much absorbed all of it. When do you think was the last time you saw this movie? Um, college, I think. Okay, so ten years ago. Maybe ten years ago, yeah. And like okay. even then, I'm just watching it. I'm just like, yeah, I know that line coming. This line's coming. That music cue's coming, and everything. So. I don't know if I ever need to, not not like I I would stop rewatching. I probably will. I'd introduce it to my kid if I ever have kids or right, anything like that. Right. But like it's it's one of those where I'm like, oh, like I've lived and breathed so much of this movie that it's hard for me to like feel like it's a new experience rewatching it. I I think the last time I watched it, I I I think I acquired it somehow online back when I was living <laughs> in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have been around 2007, maybe 2008. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at what eleven years ago. Mm-hmm. God, I can't believe it's that long ago. But yeah, so um, it's been eleven years since I've seen the movie. And, and again, uh, for the people listening, we just rewatched it together just before recording this podcast, just right. to get it all fresh in our minds. Mm-hmm. Um, One thing to bring up is uh, I think we were discussing just the art direction. Just is amazing. Yeah, this. it's so yeah, iconic that. Yeah. 
when we were setting up uh, for recording, we were kind of wondering, I'm just like, you know, Nolan is sort of seen as the king of the cinematic Batman. Yeah. But that's mostly in story and themes more than the art direction. Because to me, Burton is still the king of the bat, the, you know, the, the Batmobile. Right. The Batwing, Gotham City. Yeah, um, yeah. Somewhat of the bat suit. I, I do love, I still love the Affleck suit being comic accurate, but also, I don't know how much of that is because I've had to watch so many non comic accurate Batman suits that anything right. that looked like it came from the comics at that point was was good for me. Right. Um, it's just so the lighting and everything, the shadows, the way it's lit, like in Dark Knight, not to turn this into a Nolan versus Burton thing, but in Dark Knight, I always thought it was weird how. In the interrogation scene, it starts with the lights off, and then the lights turn on to reveal Batman. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you, I'm like, did we have to have him so brightly lit, sort of thing? Because I'm used to that's true. You know, like, like that type of stuff. Because I'm used to this type of Batman in the shadows, and that's. that's also, a, I feel yeah. like that's a special case though, because it's, it's a, in an interrogation. It is, I know, room. I know, but I'm I'm just saying, like even the the killing joke interrogation room scene is like darkly lit. The one right. that supposedly is the influence of that. Um, so it, it's it's things like that where I'm like, you when you rewatch '89, that's that's what sticks out to you is like the way it's lit, the way that it's the Gotham looks and everything that hasn't quite ever been topped or replicated right. ever since, uh, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, this is a big thing that I mean, you we were always aware of it, I think, but seeing it again now. You see Burton's uh, Burton's really good at atmosphere. Mm-hmm. That certain type of uh, fun macabre atmosphere, mm-hmm. you know, dark, dark, but a little fun, you know. Uh, and I think that was really perfect for this movie. And you know, you have like the, the reveals are all good, like the reveal of Batman, the reveal of the Batmobile, yes. the reveal of Joker's face. Mm-hmm. Um, the reveal of the Bat Cave that that was God. I love that scene with him driving through the woods. That is, yeah, one of the best ones. Growing up, uh, we lived in Alabama before Atlanta, and we did have like a little stretch of woods. Oh, really? <laughs> that we would drive through to get to my house. Mm-hmm. And every time my dad, not every time, but like my dad would often, and I would also be like, this is, we're going to the Batcave. Yes. You know, because it was, it was a lot <laughs> like that. So, um, oh man, I lived in the suburbs of Orange County. We did not have, <laughs> we did not have any woods whatsoever to, to feel that way. We totally had that. <laughs> and, um, the other thing we noticed when we were watching this was he's like, I don't think this is so much on purpose. It might have been, I don't know, but, Batman kind of in this film doesn't move all that fast unless he's throwing a punch. Like it's vampiric. Yeah. It's uh slow and methodical in a way, you know, and I think there's something kind of creepy about it, but you know, of course cool at the same time. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing cuz it's like I know a lot of people watch it in today's age and be like, "Oh, like look how slow Keaton is in the suit and everything," <laughs> right. but it never Maybe it's nostalgia on my part, and we watched it when we were kids, and we just interpreted it that way. But like, I never really saw it that way. Even now, right. being aware right. that that's what was going on, it never. Well, even when he does the bat turn, I'm not like, oh, he can't move his neck. I'm more like, that's that's how Batman moves. Yeah, like, exactly. It yeah. doesn't. That doesn't bother me at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's a it's a uh, it helps with the iconography, the the urban legend part of it, because the whole um, backstory to Keaton getting cast. Uh, the rationale behind it because uh, you know obviously it's been reported there's a huge controversy on that at the time we weren't really around to be a part of that but uh, that was like the first of the the Battenson type uh, outcry Um, and other than Keaton getting cast yeah yeah, well well, yeah it was Keaton I'm I'm talking about Keaton getting cast was that and so uh, Burton was asked like why the hell are you thinking of Michael Keaton is it just because you had worked with him before and Beetlejuice and everything and he said well first off we can't go the Christopher Reeve route of uh, Superman because we already cast Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Mm-hmm. I can't cast an unknown against Jack Nicholson. That guy's going to get destroyed. Oh, we need somebody right. who's already a leading actor. They're like, okay, but why him? And he said, uh, if I have a guy who's already muscle-bound like Schwarzenegger, why the hell does he need a bat suit? Right. If the yeah. whole idea is this guy is a guy who needs a Batman costume in order to strike fear into the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. 
why then is it Arnold Schwarzenegger or any one of these t- muscle-bound types, right. Stallone or anything like that? I need a guy who you can automatically believe that he's crazy enough to get into a bat suit and that he needs that suit in order to uh, be effective, which is kind of the point of that shootout scene in the middle of the movie where it's during the day uh-huh. and he can't do anything. And he's just staring kind of catatonically. Like, that's supposed that's supposed to be the yeah, point Yeah, when scene. you watch that, it's like... It's like he's not Superman. He's not going to go into a telephone booth and change right there. Right. Yeah. He's sort of powerless right there. He can't do fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And it's believable, you know. He just has to witness it. Mm-hmm. And it sucks for him, yeah. I would assume, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it's when we go over like the original script, it's even more blatant about like how traumatic that is for him. Uh, I, I see why Keaton was the main pick, and it's interesting watching it now after having seen so many actors after him. Uh, but the way he moves in the suit, the way he talks and everything, he was, you know, he was the first one to come up with the whole, like, Batman has a different voice than Bruce Wayne. That wasn't a thing before. And I really appreciate his take on that, yes. where it's just a little uh, deeper... Right now, especially after the, the Nolan ones, it's one of the major minuses <laughs> of the Nolan Nolan Batman. Mm-hmm. For all the pluses, there's some major minuses. Looking back on it, and mm-hmm. and it's just there's too much attention paid to it. I, I feel like like just I would say for for Matt for Matt Reeves Batman, do this. Yeah, talk a little lower, but no fucking Batfleck. Uh, you know, uh, voice, modular no, thing. no modular thing, mm-hmm. no fucking uh, screaming gruff voice from Nolan. Just, yeah. dude, keep it simple, man. Mm-hmm. Don't overthink this. Which is why, like, watching this is interesting because Batman, to me, like, I'm watching this and, like, when Keaton moves and everything, I'm like, that is Batman. Like, it, it, I, it's difficult now for me to think because even. Uh, like, watching Affleck in the suit, I'm like, yes, it's cool, but, like, uh, maybe it's nostalgia on my part, but Keaton still feels, like, number one to me in terms of how he acted in the suit, just on a pure performance level, in terms of how he came up with that voice and the way that he decided he was going to move physically and everything. There's There was something to that, something special to that that I don't think has quite been replicated. Um, and yet, when he's out of the suit as Bruce Wayne, it's it kind of feels just more like he's Michael Keaton. As opposed to when it's Christian Bale playing Bruce Wayne, where I'm like, okay, that's Bruce Wayne. So I have this weird sort of schizophrenic feelings about like who I feel like is at the top because I like I love Keaton in the suit, but I love Bale when he's outside of the suit. And you think I have, Bale had a better Bruce Wayne. I think Bale had a better Bruce Wayne, but I also have feelings about the same way, vice versa, where it's like I didn't really like Bale as much as I thought I should have in the suit as Batman because of the voice, and I also. Don't it's not like I don't care for Keaton as Bruce Wayne. It's just that I am I'm so much of a purist, or I I like the Bruce Wayne of the comics more. That seeing this sort of absent-minded dude with a lot of the Keaton-esque everyday man mannerisms just feels a little off to me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, in comparison, especially after seeing what Bale did with the role, uh, right. or what other even what other actors have done with the role in not just movies but like cartoons and stuff. So. It's, again, it's like a weird feeling of I feel like Bale was probably the best as Bruce Wayne, but Keaton was the best in the suit. And so I'd love for Pattinson to combine the two. Before we move on from the movement part of it, yeah. I do want to say um, I, I, I like the idea. And again, maybe this is me reading too much into it, overthinking it. But mm-hmm. I feel like I like the idea of the fact that he, Batman knows so much about what's going on in the room that he doesn't really have to move super fast until he really needs to. Mm, yeah. Like it's that the the high intelligence part of Batman, right? Like he can Right. He it's like Wayne Gretzky in hockey he always knows where the puck is. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I I just think that that's whole part of the whole thing for me, I guess. I, yeah. I don't know. I really enjoyed it's that. It's the mastery of it. Like yeah. that's whole yeah. I mean it's kind of comedic but also shows 
his mastery of the surroundings when he's just standing there and the guy tries to right. jump on him and just falls right through and Batman doesn't move a single muscle. It's energy conservation yeah. as well. He's like, I don't yeah. have to because he's gonna get he's not gonna make it like he's already right. calculated that shit, right. even though he's not even looking in that direction. It's amazing. Right, 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 right. So uh those are kind of my thoughts on, on Keaton's Bat. Do, do you have any other things to add to that? Because I was going to move into Nicholson. Uh, yeah, before we move on to Nicholson, sure. um, growing up and even now, I think one of the things about Keaton's Bruce Wayne is um, it's hard to tell who he is. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't really know who Bruce Wayne is in this movie. Do you know, right. what, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and there's I, not a lot of exploration, too. There's, there's not much, but the thing is, is that a product of just how this movie was written or this is kind of hard to put into words. Uh, I've all, I've thought about this a lot. The like, let's say you have Bruce Wayne, like in the comics or whatever mm -hmm. does something that shows his character. Like, Oh, I like, uh, I like green tea and, and playing Othello mm -hmm. or some shit like that. That would give you a little bit something about his character. All right. But the thing is, that's not him punching thugs in Gotham streets. You know what I'm saying? So if you do right. anything that would show character like that, that would give him more definition, mm -hmm. it w in this in the case of Batman and comic books, comic book superheroes in general, that is actually sort of a disservice to the reader in a way because he's not doing what he should be doing. You know what I mean? So there, it's like these characters are always kind of pigeonholed into this one thing that they do. But, mm -hmm. but then again, that's him. That's his crusade. So right. it's it's just it's like this really extreme give and take with with um fleshing out a character. Do you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. I mean I, I think um I'll I'll get into later on the, the original draft of this specific vision of the movie, but it was pitched as uh this man is insane. This guy in a bat suit is insane. Okay. What if he falls in love and realizes that he might be turning sane? I don't okay. think that comes across in the movie, but it definitely comes across in the original script, and the script had a lot more Bruce Wayne scenes. Okay. In um, my detail, I think you'll kind of see what I mean by that, where it's uh, you, it's it's almost like the same general outline of scenes, but stuff starts to make more sense from a character's perspective. Okay. Um, and he comes off as both a more interesting character and a little bit more like the comic book Batman at the same time. Um, yeah, I think my issues with the movie version is that um, a lot of his scenes outside of the suit involve Vicky Vale and the relationship between him and Vicky Vale is basically her getting mad that he didn't call her after one night stand when right. it feels like way more of a relationship in the original version of how things were going to progress. There were more there, scenes that they were fleshed out and stuff. There were, well, because this movie, there was a writer strike. Oh, in, 80, in the 88, development, 87? In 88, I think. And so uh, a lot of the rewrites were done by a different writer, Warren, uh, Warren Skarin, um, who is credited in this movie, uh, along with a bunch of other guys uh, who did it. So the original writer's vision didn't exactly get to carry over into stuff. And there was a lot of studio interference, too. There's a reason. You don't why. say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll get into that as we get, get further along. But yeah. um, I, I, it's not Keaton's fault. It's just when I when I watch it, it just kind of feels like I'm watching Michael Keaton <laughs> from any other movie in this scene. And then when he's Batman, he's Batman. There, there's something know? to be said about not knowing who Bruce Wayne is, too. I, I, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. confusing, right? Because it's like, are you really not supposed to know? Because that's that's is it on purpose? Like he's supposed to be a mysterious Bruce Wayne type, mm -hmm. but at the same time, or is is that uh, a fault of the filmmaker and writer not knowing who your main character is? You know what I mean? It's kind of weird watching this and trying to put yourself in the perspective of not knowing if you didn't know Michael Keaton was in the suit, like how this would play out. Because there's not really a big... I mean, yeah, you do see him in the Batcave, like listening into to the officer and Gordon, but it's never really... There's not huge, like, big reveal moment. Like, oh, he's also Batman. Like, you don't see him directly come from the party into the Batcave taking on the suit. It's just kind of gradually revealed right. if you were somebody who knew nothing about this character, weren't familiar with Michael Keaton, didn't know right. any of the Batman mythology. It's kind of designed so that you already know that going in. Mm -hmm. And they play that irony against you. Uh, or in your favor, whatever. For that. So, uh, it's kind of odd how they do it, but there's not... It's kind of also why it was interesting that they didn't 
want to do a lot of exploration of the origin and why he does what he does. It was kind of the answer to the mystery in this movie was like why he does what he does with the whole uh, death of his parents thing. kind of the vision of it um also just to add i, I was telling andrew i thought that was the, the version of the wayne murders in this one is still probably one of my favorites in terms of how haunting it is sort of played out i think snyder's version of batman versus superman is the most quote-unquote comic accurate because it's very much like the dark knight returns version brought to life but right there's still something about this one the sound design of it the you know the hollow sounds and everything the music to it just the lighting on young Jack Napier and everything. That, I think, is really what sells it and yeah. how there's an effect on their voice, on his voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he does kind of seem really unhinged Yeah. and uh, murderous. Yes. <laughs> you know? I mean, of course, he's murdered two people, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I forgot. Actually, also, very small detail, but I forgot there was popcorn that also fell along oh, with yeah, the yeah. pearl necklace. Yeah. Is that is that part of most of the rendition that's unique to this version actually. okay yeah you've, you've thought about this before i i've i've seen enough <laughs> i've seen the wayne's die enough to know what's in what's in what <laughs> at this point yeah. I, I i thought about that as like that is that like a little bit of a added theatricality to or th- th- the themes of theatricality i think so yeah i i think so um it's it's because i, I think it's because they figure like he came out of the theater Type yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah, and like, sure, Martha loses the pearls, but Bruce dropping the popcorn is kind of like the loss, of the innocence sort of thing, mm. uh, in a way. So the fun times, yeah, are gone. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're down that's, the tubes. That's the end of that. Um, yeah. I love the shadow of Jack Napier sort of draping across Bruce after he's already shot the kid. I mean, right. shot the shot the parents, and everything. Just, just everything about it. It was just so well done. I always remember feeling that haunting, uneasy feeling whenever. Mm-hmm that scene would come up, but also knowing that shit was about to go down right. for the rest of the movie. Cause right. after that, it's pretty much like action, Batman action until right. The end of the movie. So, yeah, I, I think with the, that, that scene, um, when I was a kid, I didn't, uh, I, I think I thought it might've been a dream sequence or something l- looking back on it. But, uh, cause I, I, f- I think that f- somehow I knew that in most, renditions of batman joker is not the killer or it's it's mm. they don't know right uh who it was and you know this is before maybe joe chill happened or whatever when did this is sort of a side tangent but when did joe chill actually become a thing in the comics 19 in the 1940s fine enough i have the comic right here okay. um, in the 1940s bill finger wrote it oh okay it was him finding joe chill uh when he was already established as batman and robin was already a thing and um, he finds out that uh, Joe Chill is still alive, still a criminal and everything, but um, he doesn't have any evidence against him. He just recognizes his face okay, uh, and everything, and he ends up confronting him. Um, if you've ever seen Chill of the Night from Brave and the Bold, uh, okay. one episode, like it's pretty much a good adaptation of that, that uh, which was then also put into Untold Legend of the Batman, which is how okay. I knew about Joe Chill growing up. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's that's why it became a thing. That's also why uh, Michael Uslan was very reluctant to go for that twist until he got the blessing of uh, Bob Kane. And Bob Kane apparently told him, like, hey, if Joker was still around when we came up with the Batman origin, he probably would have been the guy to right. kill Batman's parents. Right. So Uslan was like, fine, but like, just because the comic purist in me, we won't just have Jack Napier there. We'll have two guys. Right. And people can think right. that the other guy who grabbed the necklace was Joe Chill. So that was Uslan's input right there. Usually, yeah, Uslan was the one who, with the idea of let's do the two muggers. Because, uh, again, this is the only version where there's two guys. And it's oh, never yeah. really clear who the other guy is. Some people say, like, no, the other guy is a young version of Bob. Uh, you know, Jack's yeah, number one guy. But, like, he doesn't really look like it. it. Yeah, he doesn't really yeah. look like it at all. And it's also like, how did Bob go from, like, this suited dude in a, you know, fedora to this, you know, the other dude in the leather jacket? Like, it doesn't work out. It doesn't really work. Uh, in my opinion, so 
I, th- I think it works in terms of the Joe Chill thing um, as the second mugger who was helping out Jack Napier just for the sake of, you know, comic book fans. And this is the only time the Joker was Jack Napier, particularly, right? Uh, yeah, it had that was a name that Sam Hamm came up with um, okay. for when he was developing this. So, yeah, that was the only time uh, that it was. And the idea that Joker was going to be the killer or responsible for the death of parents has was around many drafts beforehand. Okay. Um, before, even almost even before Burton took over, it was like a something recurring it, thing. Yeah, it's not a bad change because, like they say in the movie, they both make each other. Right. You well, know? you also got to keep in mind this is a time where uh, superhero franchises weren't necessarily a thing. Right. So, for all they knew, this was the only Batman movie to ever be made. They didn't know if there was going to be another yeah, one. Yeah, the Adam West, uh, you know, some day you can't, you just can't get, get rid of a bomb. <laughs> right. Uh, that was kind of like already long gone in people's memories right. probably. It was 30 years before this. Right, but the, this. It, they still thought of Batman as Adam West. Adam West even wanted to still be Batman. For this one. For this one. even though, And they had to tell him, like, this is not, like, this is not, it's not your version. Batman's right. like a 30-year-old dude. You're 50. <laughs> like, right, it's, right, it's right. not working. Right. Um. Uh, it's it, it was still such a big thing in people's minds uh, that like that's why it took Michael Uslan ten years to get this thing off the ground because everyone was like yeah sure Richard Donner did it with Superman but like you can't do that with Batman he's a joke they already had a TV show about right it. right right they had like all these shitty excuses about why they couldn't do it so like for them to like twist it around the Joker killed the parents is like sure it's kind of like nineteen eighties revenge ties type of thriller you know, cliche, but like, I kind of get why they did it and killed Joker off at the end. Cause again, they didn't know if there was going to be another one. They hoped, right. they certainly hoped that right. there would be, but there was no guarantee. Right. So speaking of the Joker, <laughs> um, Jack Nicholson as the Joker it was interesting to rewatch. Cause like Ledger has been in everybody's minds and everything. And now Phoenix is coming up in people's minds because of the upcoming version that like we have to, you know, it's it, it's hard sometimes to remember, like, oh, yeah, there's other ones for you to check out. <laughs> because if the internet right, has right. any influence on it, it's that Ledger was the only, like, great version. But uh, Nicholson is, like, the Joker that we grew up with, apart from the Mark Hamill animated one, right? Yes, yeah. the main one. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting watching him because it's very much, like, I'm watching this and it's, like, Nicholson can only bring this version of Joker to life. This is, if you want Nicholson playing Joker, this is how it's done. Like, no other guy could really do the part in this style. Yeah, I, I, you probably know this already, but like, didn't uh, Uslan see uh, like a newspaper ad for The Shining? Mm-hmm. And it was his face going through the door, you know, that famous shot. Yeah. And God, that was like '81 or something. This mm-hmm. was pretty early on. They always wanted him for that part. They always did. Like, mm-hmm. so like almost a decade in the making here. And uh, well, they probably started filming in '87 or something. Probably got cast in 87, 88 or so. Yeah, Any, like it. Anyway, year, like years in advance, right? So to see, mm-hmm. I mean, it was just like really perfect casting, mm-hmm. you know, for definitely for like Burton's vision and Burton and Uslan's vision for yeah. this. Really, it was. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff that like I miss about the Joker that we haven't seen in a while, at least in live action movies. I miss the fact, like watching this. I'm like I'm looking at the makeup. And I'm like God. Yeah, I know the permanent grin sometimes looks like it's. I mean, it actually looks pretty good, but also like he's having the permanent smile, which isn't really a thing in the comics. But damn, it look like it looks good. Like right. I, I miss right. Joker just like looking like the Joker from the comics. He literally looks like the Dick Sprang version of the Joker from the '50s brought to life. Right. Um, meanwhile, any other version of Joker that's been brought to screen kind of has like that own director's vision or take on it. They always mess around with the design, but this one kind of just played it straight, and I miss that about it. I miss the gadgets, 
you know the the Joker gadgets, the, yeah. the Joker mobiles, yeah. his face on like everything. He had a Joker copter. Yeah, he his Joker had enough like... money to hire somebody <laughs> to paint a helicopter <laughs> and to make jackets with patches on them yeah. and shit. It's just you know comic book logic. I, I love it. Of course, but like I I miss this version of the Joker. I mean not not to diss on Heath because like Heath is still like you know not, you know still one of the greats, but also there's a certain theatricality to the Joker that yeah, wasn't yeah. in that version simply because, you know, I'm sure Nolan felt like, oh, I know that's in the comics. It doesn't fit my world. And that's pretty right. prerogative, but, like, it doesn't change the fact that that's still such a big part of the character and what we're used to seeing in the comics that to see it come to life in 89 is just really, it feels like, okay, yeah, that's the fucking Joker. Once, one time I, I was some other podcast I was listening to, they were talking about this movie a couple years ago, and they were saying that it really shows it they they felt like it showed that batman oh no burton was really it, he's always in love with the monster and mm-hmm. he's like burton really leans in and loves the joker right and it, it shows in this movie but at the same time nolan did that too i don't know i don't know if nolan really necessarily loves the monster but the thing is, is like joker's just such an outlandish character that Generally, is gonna chew the scenery. He's gonna steal the show, yeah. Steal the fucking show. So I think that's the next one of the next challenges. The next time, the inevitable time that Batman faces off in a live action, how can Batman ultimately, or Bruce Wayne even, mm. um, not get outplayed by whoever's playing the Joker? Because that mm. will be tough. Yeah, that's a tough. Exactly. That's a tall order. A lot of it also comes down to how it's written too. Yeah, because uh, the. Like Joker tends to steal the scenery, but you can't tell me that Joker really stole much of the show in Suicide Squad, right? No, but a lot of it was cut. <laughs> yeah, and, I know, and, I know, and, but I'm yeah, just being yeah. just in general. So, like, yeah, it was that was a, obviously the, one of the worst versions, but I don't right. think that was Leto's fault. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not pointing that against him. I'm just yeah. pointing out that like he's not necessarily someone who's always going to be stealing the spotlight. It just depends on how the character is brought into it and everything. And I think that. I think the writers of Dark Knight were so into this new version of him right. that, uh, you know, I do think Bruce Wayne has fallen to, by the wayside in both the 89 movie and in the Dark Knight right? Uh, in terms of their arcs because they're kind of overtaken in screen time um, or in emotional impact right? on those guys. Uh, let's see. Other than that, let me see. Uh, Elfman's score, still the most iconic Batman score. Yeah. Other than maybe the animated series. But still, like, it's... I'm one of the, I'm guess I'm one of the few on the internet who doesn't mind the fact that Elfman brought back the '89 Batman theme in Justice League. Yeah, the only thing is, like that theme is obviously iconic, and it's like it's probably still the best one. They're bringing it back for this is maybe a little bit on a tangent, but like <laughs> it, it felt a little bit too pandering to me. It, like, it, like, hey, we're cool. I, we can I make you it. feel feel the member berries <laughs> once again. DC's cool, everybody. I get it, but also like. That was a theme I never thought I would hear from the theater speakers ever again. So, yeah, like, for me, yes, you, it I is fan pandering, but it was fan pandering that worked. I want to be pandered to, baby. <laughs> I mean, hey, we if you've heard our podcast review on the Justice League, it's not like it, the, the theme alone won me over on the movie. So no, no, no. that didn't work. But, I mean, at least it was one of the highlights of that, at least hearing that theme Yeah, uh, again. so No theme has been quite as good. I mean, like we were talking about off-air, the, uh, the Avengers theme... I think we're both in agreement. It's like kind of the best one since then, really. It's, right. Yeah. It's it's um it fits their tone and it's memorable and uh, mm-hmm. you can't quite like hum it as well as Elfman's like like yeah. that. My God, El- I, it's that in and of itself. Genius. Yeah, Elfman's a fucking genius, man. in the Batmobile scene through the forest like yes. that's Descent into Mystery is the name of the queue and it's 
I was telling Andrew, I'm like, yes, I do drive around with that song sometimes <laughs> when it's nice. And the I enchanted, speed up. <laughs> it's like an enchanted forest kind of thing, you know? Well, if I ever find myself driving through an enchanted forest, I will blast that on the speakers. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> that shit's awesome. Uh, speaking of the Batmobile, I do want to uh, debunk a common criticism. Many people that see the scene in the Batmobile chase where he uses the grappling hook mm-hmm. to turn, and they're just like, oh, Batmobile. The Burton Batmobile is not as good as the Tumbler because the Burton Batmobile need, is so long it needs a grappling hook to turn. That's not why he uses the grappling hook. He can turn fine in all the other scenes. He only uses it because that's a sharp enough turn that any car can't make that turn. Right. That's why right after he right. makes that turn, all the other Joker mobile cars trying to go after him immediately crash because they can't do it. Right. Right. So I, that always that always like pisses me off because I'm just like, no, you can't criticize the Burton Batmobile on something that's stupid. Like I didn't know this was a controversy. Yeah. Well, it was to me. Maybe like now it's died down because people aren't talking to it right. about it as much. But like I think. Maybe it was at the time where the Tumblr was first released and people were just like, oh, like, this is such a better Batmobile because it can do all this stuff. I'm just like, the Burton Batmobile can work just fine. Like, it, in terms of destruction, yeah, it can run over shit. Did you see Batman Returns where Penguin used it to run over a bunch of innocent people? Like, when was the last time you watched these movies? This, to me, this is the best live-action Batmobile to this day. Yep. Um, I have a problem with... The tank-sized Batmobiles. Yeah, it's just not like he's. And this is what I we were talking about, where that as well as the Batwing. When we're watching this Batwing, I'm just like, it looks like a fucking bat, like it, as uh, it should. Dude, obviously, yeah. that's the. I mean, there's no comparison. It's Absolutely the best no Batwing. Like, I'm just like, you can't. I'm, I just didn't get why Dark Knight Rises. Nolan's like, this is the bat. It's not the Batwing. It's the bat, and it doesn't look like a bat. It looks like a fucking lobster. It's like, like, Nolan, like, obviously he was leaning into comic book shit. I mean, it's made comic book movie, of course, but, mm-hmm. like, like think about the Joker thugs in the beginning stealing the, the, the money. He's like, yeah. he said, I killed the bus driver. Like, the way they're talking to each other yeah. is so henchman-y. You it's, know what I mean? It's and, a weird mix of, like, okay, I want to keep it very, like, straight and gritty, but also, like, incorporate comic book shit at the same time. And yeah, sometimes it yeah. worked, and sometimes it didn't. Like It's like, if you're going to lean into a little bit, I mean, look, I know you want to keep that realistic tone, and you mm. made the best Batman movies anyway, mm. I mean, so whatever, but but it, it's it's like your ve- the vehicles, the vehicles are just off yeah. in, in, the, in Nolan's. Well, I was bringing up to Andrew, I was like, hey, like, he talks so much in Batman Begins, I want to become a symbol. This bad symbol is the right. bat. I'm going right. to have the, like, watch for my sign. Oh, I put Carmine Falcone on the on the spotlight to look like a bat sort of thing. Right. So why is it that his tank-like vehicle just looks like all he did was just paint that thing black. He doesn't have any bat motif on it. There's nothing bat-like right. about the the bat, even though it's called the bat. His symbol on the suit isn't even, like, it blends in with the rest of the suit. Right. You know, like, the, um, Keaton's got the yellow oval and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can see it, you can see the symbol, and you know, like, what that's supposed to be. Right. And everything. You can barely see that. Like, if you're not looking for it, you don't even see the suit on on the chest. Why? What's the point of having it even there if it's not even gonna be a different I color? I think they the rest wanted it. to be as tactical and realistic as possible. That was their goal. It's true, but also like, why is he then? Why does he now have also still have a yellow utility belt if he everything? You know, it's it's like yeah. they're like, well, because it's the comics. Like, there's certain stuff they took from the comics, but other stuff are just like, let's be realistic. And sometimes they, I, you know, I, I felt like they pick and chose the wrong stuff. Uh, yeah, on right, that, but that's right. again. This is this is us being really picky about like different, like you know the color of the bat symbol on the on the chest. But like the stuff in the end, like it fits together. If he's talking about this being a symbol and everything like that, it makes sense for him to have that stand out, or it makes sense for his vehicles to reflect that and everything. So I love the Batmobile in the Burton one because it it looks like a fucking Batmobile. Nobody it, can be like, oh, like that's someone else's car. There's a, the, the thing is like. Batman's not the Hulk. Like, Batman, there's a certain amount of sleekness, mm-hmm. ninja-like sleekness to Batman. So I feel like that should be represented in the car as well. True. You know, so the the whole idea, like, of the Tumblr, it was just, it's like, this does not fit, man. Right. Like, in the, 
I mean, I know that there's that scene in Begins where he all he does is kind of just turn the lights off on the freeway, and suddenly there's like, where is he? We can't find him. Yeah, but like, yeah. it doesn't feel like you f- picture the Tumblr driving around Gotham City, and you can imagine the sound being just being like and going all over the place. You see the Burton Batmobile just doing patrolling in Batman Returns, and you hear nothing right. as it goes through right. the streets right. and just slides through, and you can just picture it like passing by and nobody noticing at all. Right, exactly. Yeah. Until he actually has to like go full throttle and he's in the middle of a chase. But like, right. if right. he's just patrolling, like that's how it should be. Nobody should know it's around uh, or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I, I like the I like the effect that the tumbler could like climb up buildings and shit. That was fun. That you was know? cool. Yeah. That was cool. But it's just the overall look of being a, a humongous tank looking thing. It just didn't really. Mm-hmm. It, it's. It's not my Batman. <laughs> yeah, it's not my Batman. <laughs> it's not my Batman. So, well, you heard it here. <laughs> I fought saying that for a second. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll say it." Uh, yeah, I mean, the ideal, and I think a lot of fans agree with this. The ideal is to find something where it's like it's as like comic book atmosphere as Burton stuff in terms of the visuals, while keeping the strength of the character arcs and the themes of the Nolan stuff. If Reeves right. can do yeah, that that's balance, good. yeah. Uh, if Reeves can do that balance, then we're good for right. for this upcoming one. Um, other than that, uh, I pr- that's pretty much it for the movie itself. I have a whole bunch of shit about the the d- previous versions and how it was developed and everything. But do you have any other thoughts on the movie? Uh, let's see. Um, I noticed minor nuances that I didn't earlier when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um. Like I know when I was a kid, I did not notice all that much the the lack of makeup on the um, the newscasters whenever they come back. They don't <laughs> they don't have anything. On. Yeah, they don't have anything on because they're afraid to use because they're afraid of they might be, I might have Joker products in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I didn't notice that. I I just didn't notice shit like that when I was a kid. Maybe I did. I'm just not remembering, but. Uh, I mean, there's certain things as a kid that like different subtlety things you just don't pick up on, it's right? Just, you're not expected to. I don't think I really understood the whole like setup between Jack Napier and um, what's Jack Palance's character's name again? Grissom, Carl Grissom, Grissom. Yeah, yeah. that whole se- like this the the gangster like drama that would yeah. happen way in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then they're working with the cops too, right? Right, because Eckhart is corrupt. Yeah, yeah. So I I think that. That all that shit passed me the fuck by, dude. When I, I was think younger. it did for me too. <laughs> it's <Like>. just <laughs> I don't understand fucking gangster politics. Whenever you're fucking like five, yeah. Six, no, seven. it was just like let's get that guy into the chemicals so he can become the Joker, and I can see yeah. Batman fight Joker. It was I never really, I didn't really know what was going on in the beginning, anyway. Yeah, I, I think this was the first time I kind of fully understood that whole plot line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> Seen the movie like a thousand times, and mm-hmm. just now getting it. Um. Other than that, yeah, I mean, it's it fucking holds up, and Burton's Burton's um, atmosphere and the whole take pretty much works. I guess my final thoughts would be that whenever Nolan's Batman came out, especially by the time Dark Knight came out, there was a little bit of shitting on '89 Batman. Yeah, just because I mean, people were you know hyping up Dark Knight left and right as well. They should have, but. Now looking back on it, it's like there was a lot done right with it. Yeah, he he does um, blow up some thugs. Oh, he's kills. <laughs> he kills. He flat out kills. <laughs> he flat out kills a bunch of people. But <laughs> there's a lot more good than bad in yeah. this movie. Think, oh, the other the other minor thing. I remember yeah. this before. Very minor. But whenever he says, "I got it in Japan. I got this armor in Japan." Yeah. I want kids to remember to or to realize if you're like a younger millennial listening to this. Only somebody like, like in ni- 1989, especially, mm. only somebody like Bruce Wayne that was a fucking millionaire was going to Japan. <laughs> like, now you can literally go to Japan for under a grant. Like, mm. from L.A., it's like 600, 700 bucks, which, you know, I feel like back in, like, 89, it must have been 3,000 bucks or more Probably, yeah. to go. So well, That's why it's impressive in that movie. It's a, I, I didn't think of that. that it's an impressive thing. Mm-hmm. And not just to buy the armor, but I remember, like, he went to Japan. Is this guy a fucking world traveler? <laughs> oh, my God. I, w- I was telling Andrew during the watching it that I like to think that all those all that armor in that arsenal room are the things that he gathered during his training travels. I think that that's a good thing. Yeah, I would 
because I can't I imagine you're right about him that, actually yeah. like doing like there's no real exploration into all that stuff, but it is definitely like one of those things that you know you're a comic book fan, you're already knowing the characters, you're going into this, and you right. can read into those things even if that's not really what was intended, right? And this is, again, reading into some shit like crazy. (laughs) But it's like a bunch of armor from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And it's maybe even a way for him to study. Or it's like, it's kind of like his own, I don't know, like an art gallery. But they're all warriors. Like him, you know. Yeah, he can drive inspiration from that. Inspiration. And yeah, he he draws inspiration from shit like that. So, yeah, I think... I think it Sam, totally works. Sam Hamm even said that he saw his Batman when he was writing this as kind of a samurai. Really? Yeah, yeah. as having his own uh, code and everything like that. I'm not too familiar with the culture uh, and everything, but it was interesting hearing that because it was basically he felt when writing this that uh, it was he all the Jack Napier stuff was classic film noir stuff. Even Vicky Vale was kind of like from His Girl Friday, the the way she was originally written was kind of like a, a wisecracking female reporter from like His Girl Friday and everything. Okay. And you then just plop this samurai dude in the okay. middle of film noir type of thing. And that was kind of what he was going for in the original script. Uh, and again, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't really come across that way in, in the final movie, but it's an interesting idea nonetheless. Okay. So... Uh, it definitely like I remember rewatching this movie after Begins because I remember I I watched Begins I liked Begins but also something felt off and then I watched eighty nine because I'm just like this is the to me this was the movie to grow up with yeah this was yeah. Batman to grow up with yeah. I had no other live action Batman movie uh, that really felt like it was it even after like Returns and Forever I'm just like eh, I watched those a lot but not as much as eighty nine and I was like oh I know what was missing like Gotham and and <laughs> and Batmobile and yeah. Uh, the way the suit looked and the way that he moved and like the way that Keaton talked and everything like that and it's it has really has yet to be beaten uh, right. in a way and and so you know watching this it's like okay it's in a way some part of it might be nostalgia but also it's not nostalgia some of it is just like that's how that's how much they nailed it and it's up to you know whoever comes next whether it's Reeves or whoever after that to to see like okay what else can what else can you add to it? What else can you like? Are you you could beat that, or you could do a different interpretation? Well, let's see. But I think this will always be forever in my heart. Like that is Gotham City. That is the Batmobile. Right. That is how Batman moves. Yeah, he he pretty much nailed all those things. Yeah. Um, do you think that whole scene where he puts the uh that like dinner tray in his suit, yeah, in his in his uh tux or whatever whatever he's wearing, mm-hmm. um. And then he gets shot by the Joker. Right. Was his plan to get shot just as a way to get out of that conversation? Like, I don't understand exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, well, one of the things you got to understand, because of the writer's strike and things like that, uh, scenes like the apartment scene were completely, were like written on set. There's no version of. Really? There's no version of that or the final, cathe- the finale in the cathedral. None of, the, none of that dialogue is in the actual scripts I read. So we're going to have to put that in our next episode. Oh, it sounds like we will, but yeah, I guess, so to answer your question, I guess that was his plan, was to see, and also kind of, like, if I were to read into this without the bias of knowing what was in the original script and everything, I would read that Bruce was already caught without the suit when those gangsters got killed by the mimes outside City Hall. Okay. Right? So here he is now in the apartment of his girlfriend, trying to tell her something intimate. Joker comes in. He's like, well, I don't have the suit. It's the middle of the day, but I still got to do something. And I might get killed for it, so I got to protect myself, which is why he puts the tray in and feels that the best way to go about it is to, uh, I guess, become more of a threat to Joker so that Joker doesn't actually harm Vicky. Oh, okay. So that, notice, ma- like, that makes Joker sense just, Joker now, just shows yeah. up, but he never actually does anything to her. Right. He claims, like, oh, like you ran off with the Batman, but then he stops being angry with her after he shoots Bruce. Why does... Why does he go? I mean, I know it works for the plot, yeah. but like, why does he go after Vicky Vale specifically? <laughs> you know, what's um, what's the actual? Re- I mean, he says that like she's a she's a babe in those photos or whatever. But yeah, there's an undercurrent of him being in love with her, but it's it's subtle in the movie. But it was the real reason in the original script, which is that Joker admires her photography for the Corto Maltese, where she shot all the dead bodies, and so he sees that she's going to be his lasting legacy in capturing all that in the, in the photos. 
So he wants her to follow him around and he wants her to capture it so that there's a document of everything. That is very, that's a lot, that's pretty well written, actually. I didn't, that's pretty cool, but it's like yeah. it's not really in the movie. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. It's, yeah. When I detail the, the original draft, you're, you'll see and be like, okay, that's definitely, you'll see why certain decisions were made. Because in the movie, it, it's weird because watching this, the reason why I think we love the Nolan movie so much is because there's such a clear plot and arcs and everything. And this one, I was just like, this is cool, but there's not really much of a story in this. It's just basically right. Batman versus Joker, and that's it. And when I read the original drafts, I realized, in preparation for these episodes, I realized, oh, it wasn't originally supposed to be a very plot-heavy movie. It was supposed to be a very character-driven movie. And all the character stuff that they originally had was cut. And so all you were left was like this loose plot. So and Burton just being able to make up make up the slack with his with his atmosphere, right? Because you had Warner Brothers who was like, we don't know what the hell we're doing because we've never. Made, I mean, they did do Superman, but this is a different thing. They were taking right. a risk on this because everybody thought this was a jokey, campy '60s thing. Right. Then you had the powerhouse producers of Peter Goober and John Peters breathing down the neck. And let me tell you something: John Peters was dating Kim Basinger. Okay. At the time, okay. there was a sort of supposedly there was some love triangle with him and Michael Keaton and, and Kim Basinger. Keaton was also filling Basinger. This, yeah, <laughs> apparently, supposedly this always happens. This is, this is according to Peters. Peters said that Keaton was jealous and, and everything, and Peters claims that he rest, Peters is one of those like he's he is fully acknowledged as the quote unquote Trump of Hollywood. So I don't know if I want to believe everything that he says about okay. this, but gotcha. Um, when it comes to Batman, he claims that. He tried to rescue her from an abusive relationship and everything, and she was attached to him. But anyway, because of that, there's certain parts that Vicky Vale's in the movie where she wasn't supposed to be in the script, okay. mainly because that's the producer's girlfriend, and you're not going to leave the producer's girlfriend out of the big action sequence. Okay. Specifically, the ending. In the end, the original endings did not have Vicky Vale involved at all okay. in the cathedral. It was gotcha. mainly supposed to be Batman versus Joker, and that's it. So uh, makes more sense. That's the, so the combination of all those producer interference that Burton honestly didn't really have that great of a time making this movie because it didn't quite fit his original vision of it. Yeah, and that's why Batman Returns, Gotham looks different. There's not really a lot of acknowledgement of the first movie. It's a different feel to it because Burton wanted more control. Burton got what he, more of what he wanted. So yeah, Batman Returns is a closer vision to what Burton would want for a Batman movie. Uh, whereas this one's a little bit more bogged down because of the studio interference. I think with Returns too, man, it's another tangent, but like <laughs> it's okay. With it's another case of like the villain sort of stealing the spotlight from Batman because yep. I think most people remember Catwoman mm-hmm. the most from Returns. Yeah, more than the Penguin, more than honestly, I don't remember. I don't saw the movie a lot, but I don't what remember about like Max a whole lot. Shrek. Max Shrek, he was never put. He was never put in the comics too, right? <laughs> no. Max Shrek was never like put back into the comics. Selena. Yeah. That I mean, yeah. I don't know. I. I think that's like, hopefully Reeves is able to tackle that issue of of Bat- Batman shouldn't be outshone by his own villains in his own movie. Right. I agree, and I think even Nolan was able to succumb to that. Um, yeah. As much as we we say that those are the best that he's done that's also in terms of the Batman stuff it's also kind of fell victim to that uh, more so in Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises I think well maybe a little bit in Dark Knight Rises but not really in Begins Begins is definitely Batman's movie yeah uh, that's true that's but true. definitely in Dark Knight yeah Scarecrow doesn't outshine him in that yeah no so yeah 89 still holds up so we're gonna go over the scripts in the next episode we're gonna go yes we are okay all right, everybody. So this has been Andrew. Catch us on Patreon. Uh, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Superhouse Podcast. Thank you, Shasta, for still supporting us. I just checked again. You've been with us through all the hard times. Um, currently, our only tier is a dollar. Consider it a virtual tip, tip, tip box just because uh, we're still not quite ready for a bunch of tiers, I think, just yet. So if you want to support us, just uh, throw us a dollar on there. That'd be awesome, just like Shasta does. <laughs> and um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you're Ben Juan Ryder? Oh. Yeah, Ben Juan Ryder on Instagram. Prepare for a lot of pictures of either Batman or cats. <laughs> 
Okay, so catch us in the next one. I guess this is a two-parter, maybe three. Maybe I don't three. know. Yeah, we'll see. And then uh, we're going to be, or Ben is going to be regaling us with stories of what could have been mm-hmm. uh, as far as the 89 Batman movie is concerned and maybe some of the other movies as well. Yep. So anyway, uh, check you later. This is Andrew signing off. Ben signing off. Ben signing off.